Well, good morning. I bring you greetings from Community of Faith Bible Church. So let me let me just see. Just raise your hand if you're from Community of Faith Bible Church. Okay, praise a few of us out there. Praise the Lord. All right, I see y'all. Um, we're so thankful for this opportunity uh, to gather together as one body, one church, and to open up God's Word and to think through together uh, how God would have us to, to strive for, preserve, to protect, to guard, to live out the oneness and the unity that we have in Christ. I'm going to ask that you bow with me, that I would ask God's help as I preach His Word and as you have the blessed privilege of hearing the Word of God as the Spirit of God illuminates our minds and hearts. Will you bow with me? Father, thank you for this weekend, um, and thank you for the reality that is before us, that Christ Jesus, you have made us a new family. And I just thank you for the privilege that we have of representing that to a world that is divided politically, nationally, that's divided ethnically, in tragic ways. And I pray that you would use this weekend to strengthen us, to to be on mission in a way that we can see your hand of grace and mercy and love and what Christ has accomplished, working through us, bringing reconciliation and healing, even as uh, Brother George shared, changing hearts. So we just pray that you bless us this weekend. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Uh, my wife is back there somewhere, and my two sisters, uh, they're back there somewhere, and I I wanted to share a story about um, my wife is just the sweetest woman uh, you could possibly imagine. And, and when we got married, I just wanted to impress my wife. I wanted to let her know that she married a, a strong man. So uh, one day we were uh, in, she was on the, I think she was folding laundry. And, and I walked into the room and, and I saw the laundry basket about seven feet away from me. And so I, I just told her, I said, you know, do you think I can jump over that laundry basket from here? And she kind of laughed, I think, like you all are doing. And uh, she's like, Bobby, whatever. And when she said that, I'm like, she doesn't think I can do this. And I know she loves me, but I really wanted her to be impressed with her husband. Because I, I helped the, the school record in a broad jump in high school. And so I could really jump. And so I decided I was going to show my wife my, you know, my prowls, and, and so I, I just launched into the air. And the, the human mind is an amazing calculator. It instantly figured out that I didn't push hard enough, and I didn't jump high enough. So as I'm coming down, my, my foot clipped the end of the basket, and I turned into a human pinball. I slammed into a wall, I slammed into the dresser, and slammed on the ground. And my two-year-old was just screaming, ah! And my wife was hysterically laughing. <laughs> and, on that, and on the ground, I had a moment of clarity. Just, like, just all of a sudden, this moment of clarity came by. And it was like, Bobby, you've changed. It's been over a decade, more than that, since you last jumped, that you're not who you used to be. Um, there's an old preacher who used to say, you can no more do uh, what you don't know than come back from where you ain't never been. That, that in order for us to be who, or do what Christ has called us to do in this critical hour, we really have to know who we are. There's a clear picture of the image of who we are in the Word of God, authoritatively so, and we really have to know who we are. And what we were before we came to Christ, we've changed. Some of us can't jump over those baskets anymore. <laughs> 
But we have a greater calling and a greater mission based upon what Christ has changed us to be so that we can do things that will glorify him in this age of radical uh, division. And I want us to look at the Word of God this morning, and I I want us to walk through a a single verse that I'm going to contextualize uh, by looking at uh, the the, the Bible uh, from Genesis right through. But I want you to turn in your Bible with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and I'll read uh, verse 9 and 10, but I'm going to focus on verse 9 for the time that I have. And it says in my New American Standard, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That here in these verses, we are given four titles. I almost want to call them like photographs. And I want us to look at our family album and go back and and look at these pictures so we can see who we are. From God's perspective, in light of what Christ has done, I want us to open up our family photo and I want us to look at these pictures. And it's helpful to look at pictures and see who you really are. I, 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 believe it or not, I didn't know that I was short. You know, growing up, I could jump, so I would play basketball and sports with everybody else. And, but then the advent of the iPhone, and I get pictures everywhere, and I look at, I'm like, look, who's that short dude? Like, in the, it's, it's me. Looks like my, my co-pastor is like twice as tall as I am. It's helpful to be able to look at yourself and what you'll see in your family photo album, you'll see that you've changed. You, you, you'll see that, that you, you didn't look like you did back in your wedding picture necessarily. And, and, and you didn't look like you did necessarily in your high school picture, that you've changed. And we need to know who we are, that Christ has done something that has radically changed us. And the only place that you can get that clear picture is the Word of God. It becomes like a mirror to us and it shows us who we are and what Christ has done in us and for us so that we can work, so he can work through us. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, you have these photos. I'm going to look at four of who we now are. And it says it, says it in verse 9 that we are a chosen race, that God has chosen us. He selected us. He picked us. I, I have uh, one of my closest friends she loves to tell the story when she was adopted. Her dad tells her that, you know, baby girl, we went to the hospital. We saw all these babies, and then we saw you. Cute and cuddly, and, and we chose you. We, we wanted you, and we chose you. God chose us, but we weren't cute and cuddly. <laughs> we're, we were enslaved by sin, but the point is that God chose us and and this verse says he chose us in my New American Standard. It says he chose us to be a new race. How radical is that? That we are a new race. And I want to walk through the Old Testament and give you two reasons why God made a new race and you are a part of it if you are in Christ Jesus. Why did God make a new race? And turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 because the Bible is very clear in Genesis chapter 1 that there is only one race. 
God made everything and everything he made, he said, was good. And then God made, it says in verse 26, us. He made man and he made woman. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, then God said, let us make man in our image or humanity in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created the human race, mankind, in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. That over and above everything else in creation, God made the human race to be like him. And specifically, if I, if I could have you think through with me how profound this is, in an ancient Near Eastern culture, in their idolatry, pagans would carve out a physical image to represent their invisible God, the so-called God. And when you read this verse amongst the other peoples, it says more clearly that, that, that God carved us out as it were, and made us like him. He gave us some finite likeness to him that we're rational beings, volitional beings, emotional beings, relational beings. That God made us like him so that over and above everything else in creation, we could represent him. Every day you wake up, there is a song that's singing, and you have to hear it. It is the heavens singing, God is magnificent. God is without comparison. That God is glorified, and the heavens are declaring the glory of God. But not like you, not like me, over and above everything else. The staggering reality is every day we have the privilege of reflecting God because he made us for that end. And that's humanity. It separates us from the animal kingdom. It separates us from the stars and everything else. That God uniquely made us in his image and his likeness so that we could reflect his glory. And all of us, we've all been made out of Adam and Eve. She's the mother of the living. So there's one humanity that God made and he made us in his image and likeness, we all share that. Not simply functionally, we now for reflect the glory of God, simply by being human. This is an ontological reality that we reflect God. I don't get more like God because I can do push-ups or because I, I, I have a certain IQ. That Jesus, I mean, God made us in his image and likeness by being human. That's a wonderful reality. And yet you know well what happens on page three of your Bible. God made us so that we would have this intimate relationship with him. God made us so that we would be satisfied in him. But by faith, we had to choose to trust in him. That apart from him, we would be nothing and could do nothing. And we know what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Adam, instead of choosing the tree of life, and depending upon God and leaning into God's wisdom so that he could rule and subdue creation, empowered by this God who, who made him to represent him. Instead, Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, to be independent from God. Satan tempts them and says, you could be like God. And they were already like God. So you have to ask in Genesis 3, 5, what does it mean that you'll be like God? That they would be autonomous, 
God depends on no one. God asks no one for any advice. And here they're thinking, if we eat this fruit, we can be independent. Like God, deciding for ourselves was right and wrong, was good and evil, without being subjected to God. And they rebelled. God made us humans, not little gods, to be dependent upon him, and we rebelled. And in rebelling, what God forewarned in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, that in the day that you eat, you will surely die, we were instantaneously separated from God. Now, with an internal awareness of sin, being separated from God, we became slaves to that sin. Each and every person who's ever been born. So the human race that God made to reflect him now has been radically corrupted. Every individual radically corrupted. So much so, Genesis 6-5 says, very plainly and clearly, that God saw us as wicked, great wickedness. And here's why. Because the intent of the thoughts of our hearts was only or continuously evil. Not just our actions. Our actions are evil because our thoughts are evil. And our thoughts are evil because our intents are evil. And our intents are evil because our hearts are evil. The real us isn't oriented towards God anymore. Even if I want to just say, I want to be a good guy and I want to just spend my life just serving other people and, and, and giving them gifts and money or whatever and charities and, and helping the poor and everything like that. But God made me to glorify him. But if I'm doing it for me, then I'm rebelling against God. So that even my so-called good works are a filthy rag before God because there's no one now who lives for God. There is not even one who seeks for God. We've all turned astray, and we all are radically corrupted. We're a sin. We're selfish. We are sinners. We're a self-centered sinners, leaking, seeking only to, to satisfy ourselves. That's all of us in Adam. The human race was corrupted in Adam, but not just individually. When you read Genesis chapter ten and eleven, we were corrupted corporately. Whatever groups we identify with, those groups are corrupted too. They, they have a dynamic to them that is against God. It says in Genesis chapter 11, the whole earth used the same language, the same words, and, and they decided the whole of humanity came together, and they decided, verse 4, come, let us build for ourselves a city, a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make, listen, let us make for ourselves a name, not this God not glorify God who gives us bread and life and everything else. Let's make for ourselves a name. And we won't do what he has told us to do. We're not going to scatter. We're not going to submit. We're not going to obey. We're going to rebel. And in our unity, we'll have strength to build a tower and we'll climb and dethrone God. And so corporately, we're radically depraved. There's a sinful dynamic to our groups and so what did God do? God, God to, to stop this mutiny, this slowdown, this, this rebellion against him, you have what you have in chapter 10. God scatters us. And he scattered us until, it says in Genesis 10.5 and Genesis uh, chapter 10, uh, it says it three times in Genesis chapter 10. And I'll have you turn to Genesis 10.5. And it says, 
And these are the sons of Noah, and each son has the same description, a summary of, of what happened to the people in, in them. It says in 10.5, from these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. And so God separated us to slow down this unified mutiny, and God did that. So we're separated. Sometimes people ask, why are we so divided? Because God divided us. God did that. And he divided us into lands. And he, he divided us into families so that one family began to have the same genetic traits and, and, and be, you know, it's one humanity, but, but, but we began to look differently and had different languages. And we had boundaries and borders. And each of these new groups, you know what they did? They were striving to make a name for themselves. Radical tribalism is now born. So there'd be wars, and there would be groups who would elevate themselves over the other groups and oppress other groups. You'd have the Egyptians who would take the Hebrew people in, in Exodus 1 and 2 and oppress them. So you have dynamics, group dynamics of sin, tribalism and oppression, where, wherever that could happen. And that's us. Because I'm reading your family photo album. Great-great-grandpa and where great-great-grandpa came from. So it's the Hatfields and the McCoys, tribalism. The Hutus and the Tutsis, tribalism. The Irish and Catholic Protestants, tribalism. And it's universal. And, and, and it's always been us. It's, 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 this is our album. This is who we are when we look at the picture, what we became in Adam. Individually, we were radically corrupted in sin. Corporately, we've been radically corrupted in sin. That's just our story. But God, somebody say amen to that. But God, that's who we are. That's what we, that's what we became in Adam. But God, being rich in mercy, he sent this son, the Lord Jesus Christ, a second Adam, a new man. And by faith, not by blood tied to Adam, but by faith connected to Christ, he has made us a new humanity, a new race. That's who we are. You don't have to just jump over a basket to stick out your chest and show somebody. You can just point to Jesus and he's clothed me in righteousness. He's given me a royal name. He's exalted me out of my sin. That's my Jesus. So he's made a new humanity. That's what the Bible says, y'all. That's, that's who we are. It says in the first Peter chapter two that we are a radically new humanity. And uh, first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 to 22 says, we were in Adam, but those who trusted God, we're in Christ now. And he's made us new. The, the, the new age is already broken in. He's going to make all things new, but the new age is already broken in. And we are the first fruits of it, that we are reflecting now this new everything that God is going to make. And he started it with us, a new humanity. Um, but that's not the only picture we have of who we are. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, there's another photo. And it says that we are royal priesthood. And I love that, that we are a royal priesthood, the text tells us. And so we all can think through uh, the Old Testament, who the priests were, not all the 12 tribes, but just the tribe of Levi. And uh, they, they, they were select, but they weren't royal. There was another line. 
and that was the line of Judah, and they were royal. But this text is telling us that we're not tied to any ethnicity, not tied to the tribe of Levi through blood or tied to the tribe of Judah through blood. It says that we are Christians, those who trust in Christ, are a royal priesthood that we are. And we are that because of our faith in Christ. And this is a vocational distinction that we are a priest and we know the task of a priest in the Old Testament. That the task of a priest in the Old Testament, they would mediate. They they would stand between God and they would stand between sinners and they would offer sacrifices trying to reconcile sinners to God. They, they, They were mediators. And this text says that we are royal mediators because our king has appointed us to represent him. That's who we are. So if I ask you a question, who are you? I think some of us would say, well, I'm a school teacher. I'm an engineer. I, you know, I'm a custodian. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I, I, I said, I'm a broad jumper. Well, scratch that one. I used to be a broad jumper. But, 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 but we think there's something we do, and this text says that there's something that we are, and because of what we are, there are things that, that now that we can do, that we have a ministry of reconciliation. We are mediators in a broken, fallen world. It's your voice. It's you standing in the gap. It's you telling people, sinners, what Christ has done to mediate them and reconcile them to God and each other through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we have a job, and the job goes beyond your school teacher title. It goes beyond just being a mother, father. You represent God. That's what he made us in his image and likeness. That's why he renewed that image and likeness in us in Christ, to represent him wherever we go. And he is reconciling all things to himself. He'll do it through judgment, through those who won't repent, but he wants to do it through his cross now. But he needs somebody to have a voice. He needs somebody who knows, who knows who they are, He needs to have some folks who really know the radical change God has made in my life. That I can step into spaces where other people are afraid to go. I can say things, I've been authorized to say things that other people might be afraid to say because I'm a royal priest. And I have a daily duty. So when I see the divide, when I see the break, when I see the tension, when I hear the cries, that I know that God has sent an answer And that answer looks like us to pray, to plead, to share, to preach. And God works through this new humanity of royal priests to mediate. I know that to be a fact because that's why we're here. I know that to be a fact because I know Brother Harris. And I know more than five minutes of his story, and I wish he could have shared more of his story. That God has done an amazing, radical work in us. Everybody say amen. amen. He really has. That's just true. That's just true. And so we are a new humanity. And we are a royal priesthood. But the text, as wonderful as that is, it doesn't stop there tells us also that we are a holy nation, that we are a holy nation. And I I want, I really want us to get this, that that I I didn't know I was short because I didn't have all, now I see all these pictures, I know I'm short because I can look at all the pictures. And I don't think you all know, I don't think we know that we're a holy nation. 
because we don't look at the picture enough. You, you, you open up this photo album. To, to, to be a holy nation, you, you, you know what that's saying. When it says that we are a nation, nations have kings. And we have a king. Jesus made that explicitly clear during his trial when Pilate asked him, so you are a king? And Jesus says, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. Yes, I am a king. And those who come to trust me, they bow to me as king. That we have a king and he's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He is a king of all lands, of all peoples. He is the sovereign one who lifts up kings and brings them down. That's our king. And he cannot be voted out of office. He cannot be impeached. He doesn't have to try to run again. He simply is king and he always will be king. I don't know why every November we go crazy. I want him to be my king and I want him to be my king. I want Jesus to be my king. And he is. He's our king. And not only that, I have a citizenship in his kingdom. That's Philippians 3.20. I'm a part of the new kingdom. I'm a, I'm a part of the, you're a part of, you're a citizen of heaven. So when I'm here, because of the change, and it's a radical change, and, and I've got to look at this album. Oh, this is the only album that will tell me who I really am. And it tells me I'm a part of a holy nation, one that God has set apart, one that God wants to uniquely use. And as a part of this holy nation, I have simply a different relationship to this American nation that I had before. It is missiological. It is not my primary, not, not, not my primary identity is not tied into my American citizenship. I have a dual citizenship. I, I have a citizenship in heaven and I have a citizenship as an American and they're not of equal importance. My American passport citizenship allows me to be a missionary here. It allows me to be an ambassador here, an ambassador for the king, trying to plead with people to trust him so that they can be transported out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son, the eternal kingdom that's coming. Because every other kingdom is going to perish. Every other kingdom is fading away. Read the book of Daniel. Not only would Medo-Persia gone, not only Babylon would be gone, not only would Greece be gone and Rome, but it says when the, when the stone comes back that's been not cut by man's hand, who is Christ, and he hits the mountain of human kingdoms, they all will be dissolved. All of them. Earthly kingdoms fall. Newsflash. America will not be an exception it too will fall. But Jesus said, the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. Death, nothing is going to stop the work that Jesus is doing. And that's what we are part of by God's grace. We're part of this new humanity. We are a royal priesthood, that we are a holy nation. That means, so, so if I'm a part of a new humanity, then ontologically, there's a radical change. I'm just something different now. Because I'm a part of a royal priesthood, vocationally, there's been a radical change. I have a new mission every day of my life. I'm a mediator. I'm an, and, then, and, and then I'm a part of a, a, a holy nation. My citizenship has simply been changed. And then lastly, the text tells us 
that we are people for God's own possession. We, we're special, that's what it means, that we are the people who are special to God. I love my sisters in Christ. I love all y'all. But not like I love my wife. <laughs> I love my wife. There's a, there's a special love and relationship I have with her. The Bible says, so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it says in Ephesians 5.25 that he loves the church like his bride. It's different. It is special. It is more intimate. It's just better. It's just better. I, I, you can try to picture the scene with me. That you're at a park. Or even here, you know, you're, let's say you're here, but we're here, we're sitting and we're listening. And all the kids are playing around somewhere. I heard them earlier, and, and, and you know, hearing the sound of kids is like music to my ears. When I hear kids, I'm like, okay, that church is going to survive. The, the future generation is right there. I have, I have six kids, so I love kids. Uh, but, but every time one of them cries, every, every mother's going to lean like this. And she, okay, that one's mine. <laughs> and the rest of them went, no, that's not mine. There's a special bond. That child is special to me. That God knows his own. He knows you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's your shield. He's your protection. He, he meets all of your needs according to Psalm chapter 23. He just loves you in a special way. You're, you're his special possession. That wasn't always true. We weren't always part of the new humanity. We're not, we weren't always the royal priesthood. We weren't always part of this holy nation. We weren't always a part of the special possession, the status change. And that's what verse 10 says, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we have to know who we are now, folks. We got to act like it. What a radical change. What a radical new identity we have now. And doing is predicated upon being. We won't do what we're supposed to do if we don't know who we really are. And sometimes we keep looking back at the, our, our old photos thinking we still are who we used to be. I'm okay that I can't jump 10, broad jump 10 feet anymore because God has given me something so much infinitely better. And let, me, let me give a quote and... and uh, and then I'm going to take my seed. Uh, and at the end of um, the closing arguments in the George Floyd murder trial, and I guess Officer Chauvin, the prosecuting attorney said, you were told that Mr. Floyd died because his heart was too big. You heard that testimony. Now, having seen all the evidence, having heard all the evidence, you know the truth. And the truth of the matter is that the reason George Floyd is dead is because Mr. Chauvin's heart was too small. May that never be said of us. That Jesus has given us a new heart. So we have new inclinations, intentions. So we have new thoughts to please God. And in a and a part of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech that hardly ever gets quoted, he said this. In the, he said, but there is something I must say to my people. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let's not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. 
We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. As we march, we must make the pledge that we will always march ahead. We cannot turn back. I've talked to a lot of people in this conversation about pursuing racial reconciliation. And I've heard a, a, a spectrum of responses from folks. And one response that I, I often hear is that people are tired and, and frustrated and sometimes even angry. Why do we keep bringing this up? Why do we keep having this conversation? Slavery happened a long time ago. I've never owned any slaves. Why can't they get over it? And I've heard people say that this is so frustrating. Stevie Wonder could see what's going on. Like it's all in our face. Why, why, why do we got to keep saying that there's still inequities that are profoundly affecting our country? And they get frustrated and tired and angry and, and, they, and they don't know what to do and they, and they want to give up. Can I tell us what we can do? with our radical new identity that leads for to a, a, a new doing for us? Can I tell us what we can do? We can get tired or we can feel angry, whatever, but, but can I tell you what we need to do? That we need to lift up Jesus. Jesus said, because if I be lifted up, I will draw all kinds of people and men and women and boys and girls into myself. And I ain't tired that he is going to accomplish that reality and his people need to lift him up. I've cheated. I read the end of the story. I know that he's going to reconcile every tribe and tongue and kindred and people and he's going to bring them together and he's wanting to do that now through the people he saved and changed to represent him and lift him up and watch him do what we cannot do to tear down walls that separate to change hearts that have been bitter and angry, to cause them to be loved between folks who are formerly enemies, to lift them up and watch them make a new humanity. That's what Jesus does. That's why he saved us. That's who we are. That's what we have to do. God bless you.